Hey everybody, this is Adam Sharkey with Tiburon News. Thanks for tuning in to our inaugural audio podcast. Today I want to talk about something that is very important in the Western Hemisphere, and something that recently has gotten some media attention, but that is affecting people in ways that just aren't getting enough attention and enough notice. And what I want to talk about is the crisis in Venezuela and give a little bit of background on why it's happening and the sheer scale of the effects because you know the articles that are coming out CNN, NPR, MSNBC they talk about how people are struggling to find things like food and water they talk about unemployment and there's been some mention of what's going on with the government but it's just not truly, truly grasping the severity of the situation. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Venezuela, for a long time, was one of the most prosperous nations in the Americas. I mean, obviously you have the United States and Canada, which have been economic leaders for a long time. And you have Mexico, which is the 13th largest economy in the world, But as far as South America goes, for much of the 20th century, Venezuela was very important. Um, You have very deep waters along its north coast that made it basically the gateway to South America in terms of exporting goods from South America in a lot of ways and also importing goods to South America. And so Venezuela got a lot of economic investment with companies setting up distribution centers there, manufacturing there. Until recently, Clorox had some facilities there. Ford still has a factory there that, uh, for all intents and purposes, has been shut down uh, because it hasn't really been making any cars, mostly because they're running out of the materials with which to build the cars and also the money with which to buy the parts to build the cars. Uh, You wouldn't think that that would be a problem, but there actually aren't enough dollars to be able to purchase a lot of the parts that are necessary to make these cars. And so you put yourself in a situation where people don't know where to go. And it's not just there's not enough foreign exchange reserves. It's not just that the country is low on food. It's not just that the governments can't pay the subsidies that they used to pay. It's that everything is happening all at once. And so why did it happen? Well, years ago, Venezuela elected a government led by a man named Hugo Chavez. And Hugo Chavez was basically a Bolivarian socialist. What does that mean? Well, he had a very take-from-the-rich-give-to-the-poor attitude. And he wasn't a huge fan of private industry. And one of the largest sources of economic growth and potential and sheer revenue in Venezuela was and continues to be oil. And Hugo Chavez saw the potential to set up a state where the oil is sold essentially by the government. It's a company, but it's essentially by the government. And much of that oil revenue was used to fund social programs. That money was used to subsidize groceries such that people were paying just a few cents for things like bread and milk, paying a cent a gallon for gasoline, and Venezuelans were living pretty well for a long time. There was a great deal of poverty reduction that occurred under Hugo Chavez, 
And it was, for a while, a shining example of socialism working to benefit the people. Government and industry working together to benefit the people. But as history has continued to show, time and time and time again, that's an illusion. The two decades of economic prosperity, roughly two decades, that occurred under Hugo Chavez were essentially an illusion because the money that was used to fund those social programs, any reasonable oil company would have invested that money in adding capacity, modernizing ports, conducting repairs on the machines used to extract the oil, building refining capacity so that they don't have to export oil and then import gasoline, and all sorts of other problems. The people of Venezuela, middle class, lower class, upper class, no matter what class you are, do you really need to pay four or five cents equivalent for a loaf of bread? The answer is no. Bread costs what bread costs. But by putting in price ceilings on a lot of these food items, much of the private industry that was producing food was driven out of business. And so that's another problem. Because now you have a situation where Alimentos Polar, which is the largest company in Venezuela that makes food products, they make everything from flour to beer to flavored rice. They can't make food profitably because the price ceilings were established, taking into account the government's ability to pay subsidies. And they were also established without taking into account the hyperinflation that's occurred over the last couple of years. Annual inflation in Venezuela is easily above 700 to 800%. And we're in a situation now where, while the official exchange rate on the Venezuelan Bolivar is about 10 Bolivars for $1, depending on where you exchange them and what day the auction is, there's all sorts of technicalities for how their, their exchange system works, and ultimately they're the exact opposite of a free market. But on the street, if I, as an American citizen, go to Venezuela and I exchange my dollars for a Venezuelan Bolivares, let's say I exchange $100, I could easily, easily, easily come up with 100,000 Bolivares. I walk into the store and there's nothing to buy. <laughs> there's nothing to buy. In fact, it's gotten to the point now, and yes, the, the news media have talked about the long lines at the grocery stores, but what they probably haven't told you is that these people, when they're getting inside, there's nothing to buy. And it's not just because the truck didn't come, it's because the truck isn't coming. There's nothing in these stores to buy, not nearly enough to fill the shelves that are there. And these are government-owned grocery stores. This is mostly government-manufactured merchandise. And the reason it's mostly merchandise that's set up by the Venezuelan government is that they don't have the foreign exchange reserves to import goods anymore. They are so, so low on cash that a recent Bloomberg article said that they may run out of cash entirely in a year. And for a variety of reasons. One of them is just that with the Bolivar getting weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker, it's costing them more to pay off dollar-denominated debt. Now, what does that mean? It means they sold government securities that have to be paid back in dollars. And the harder it is to buy dollars for them, the more expensive it is to pay back. Another problem is that their seniorage has become negative. Now, what does that mean, seniorage? That's, that's a funny vocab word. When you take the materials that are used to make the U.S. dollar, a U.S. dollar bill, and I don't have the exact number, but let's say it costs six cents to produce a U.S. dollar bill. 
with ink and cotton and all the materials that go into that, all the printing and the costs of printing and everything like that. Let's say it costs six or seven cents. And then you have that dollar, and it's worth a dollar. It's worth a hundred cents. Seniorage is important. And some governments find themselves in a position that they print and they print and they print because they can essentially create money with seniorage. Now, you, you'll hear that all the time. Oh, well, we'll just, we're going to print money, we're going to print money, it's going to cause inflation. And people, people understand that concept generally, but they don't know why. And the reason is, when you have positive seniorage, any time that you print a bill, it's worth more than the materials you use to print it. But when a country starts using that as a strategy, that's generally a red flag, uh, as we have seen time and time again, but particularly with Zimbabwe. Uh, I have mounted on the walls of my room Zimbabwean dollars. I have a $100 trillion note. And at the last official exchange rate, that bill for $100 trillion Zimbabwean dollars was worth around $0.06, cents, which is probably about the cost it was to print it. So what does it mean that Venezuela has negative seniorage? Well, part of it is that they have openly refused to acknowledge their own hyperinflation. So even though the Bolivar is, is 800 to 1,000 to the dollar in the black market, the official exchange rate is only you know, 8 to 10. And so they're still printing bills for 1, 2, 5 Bolivars. I have a 2 Bolivar note right here on the shelf. And people walk into these stores... Not the government-owned stores. The government-owned stores have the government set prices, which is why they never have anything inside. The prices are so low that anytime, anytime something appears, it's gone immediately. That's why the stores are perpetually empty. But people are walking into these street vendors paying reasonable market rates for these goods. A stick of deodorant, which is about $2, might be 1500 to 2000 Bolivars. And so when you have to walk up and pay in two or five Bolivar notes... People are walking around the city with stacks of money and there's nothing to buy. It's like Germany before World War II. The money is worthless and there's nothing to buy. But the main problem from a humanitarian standpoint is these lines, these grocery lines. People in Venezuela are not an undignified people. They are not a country of people who have always lived in poverty. They are not a people resigned to poverty. To many Venezuelans, particularly those who were born in the 50s, 60s, 70s, many of them have never lived in poverty. Or if they have lived in poverty, they haven't seen their country impoverished. But you have an economy in Venezuela that is shrinking. And this isn't recession shrinking. This is 5, 6, 7, 10% a year, depending on your city. Most of the people who haven't lost their jobs yet in Venezuela are working for the government many of them in administrative capacities that are no longer necessary. And based on the food shortages and the fact that the government seized means of production for food are no longer being operated, something interesting happened last month. The Venezuelan government has declared that government employees may actually end up working in government-owned fields to produce food to combat shortages. So uh, let's say you're working at the Venezuelan equivalent of the DMV, and your responsibilities are normally checking out driver's licenses, doing background checks, uh, reviewing 
intersections, whatever people at the you know, DMV do, right? Well, now you're going to go on a field trip. <laughs> Literally, a field trip. You're going to go grow food, something that you and many of the people in your office know nothing about, potentially. Now, you're still going to be paid your government wage, and you're still going to be paid benefits, and they've also said that you can't be fired for not doing well or, or something like that. And it would be silly if you could, right? If if your job is normally to to check driver's license seals or something like that, and, and you're not good at growing corn, it's not like they can fire you over it. But what does that mean? It means that the government has to make an, an inefficient decision to combat a problem created by itself, by its own activity. The Venezuelan government created the food shortage in a lot of different ways. One of the ways was they put ceilings on the prices of the food. And the private companies couldn't compete. And when they complained about it, they either went out of business, they got seized by the government, or both. There are still ongoing court cases of foreigners that set up cattle ranches in Venezuela that are suing for just compensation for the fact that their businesses were nationalized. And they're never going to get anywhere. I'll tell you why they're never going to get anywhere. Because Venezuela is out of money. (laughs) The fact that Venezuela has not defaulted on its debt yet is simultaneously impressive and terrifying. Because they are throwing everything in the kitchen sink at making their debt payments on time. There are power outages... Deliberate, state-sponsored, state-mandated power outages in all the major cities just about every day. And part of that has to do with uh, they get something like 70 to 75% of their electricity from hydroelectricity. And the rivers are low due to the El Nino oscillation event. So that El Nino is causing low river levels and so they have less electricity than they normally would. That's been a huge problem. Then you have the oil crash... Uh, oil that was previously $110 a barrel, and they were able to run their government. They, they made budgets based on that, and now oil's around $40 a barrel, and they, they can barely make anything at all on that oil. In some oil projects, you lose money at $40 a barrel. Uh, Venezuelan oil is relatively cheaper than, you know, for instance, U.S. oil that's extracted through fracking or other projects in the Western Hemisphere. And so where does that leave us? Well, we're left with a situation that has gone from bad to worse, and there's no sign of it getting better. There's simply no sign of a singular event that will mark the end of the crisis in Venezuela. Because oil's not going to go to $100 a barrel anytime soon. The rig counts are staying relatively stable. Iran is going to start selling some oil. And Iran Iran can extract oil from the ground. They say it's like $5 a barrel. So Iran's going to keep pumping, no matter what. Even if it's 12 or 13 or $15 a barrel that it ends up costing them, Iran's going to keep pumping. Crisis in the Middle East, terror in the Middle East, isn't having the same effect on oil prices as it used to. Because people know that if you can't get oil through the Strait of Hormuz, or if you can't get oil out of the Levant, Oil goes up to maybe 55, 60, and then the American shale producers jump on. And Saudi Arabia has outright said that they're not going to stop pumping, even if they lose money, because they don't want to give up the market share. The Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, of which Saudi is a, a seminal member, you have Qatar, you have the United Arab Emirates, Venezuela, also a member, by the way. All these countries 
haven't been able to reach an agreement to curb production. And that's keeping prices low. And they're doing this to hurt us. Make no mistake about it. They don't they don't want Canadian and oil that uh, Canadian and US oil producers to make any money. They don't want that. Right? They want us to go away. Which is fine, right? In a certain extent, that's fine. Because they're killing themselves. They're cutting their nose off to spite their face, essentially. But it's it's happening at the expense of Venezuela. Though Venezuela, even if oil were at hundred and ten dollars a barrel, if oil if oil went to two hundred and twenty five dollars a barrel tomorrow. Venezuela wouldn't be able to balance its budget. Too many invoices overseas that haven't been paid. They're having trouble getting internet and phone service. Just the general population, even if they're paying their bills. Because the government telecom companies don't have the funds to pay the external telecom companies. They don't have the funds. So people who want to call family outside of Venezuela, they can do so maybe one every two, once every two weeks. It's nuts. It's getting nuts. The things that Venezuela is finding that it can no longer afford to pay for. Women in Venezuela were discouraged from using hair dryers. And to try to egg them on a little bit into doing it, to try to ease them into the transition, the current president, Nicolás Maduro, he actually told the women of Venezuela that they should dry naturally because he prefers the look of a woman with freshly washed hair. How ridiculous is that? Not to mention the fact that water utilities are having trouble providing this water in the first place. So I'm not sure you could find a Venezuelan woman with freshly washed hair. I mean, I'm sure you could. Don't get me wrong. They're washing their hair. They're showering. They're doing whatever they can. And they're going to work doing whatever they can do. Though most of them are waking up at 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning to get on grocery lines. And the things that are popping up are kind of hysterical. I saw a picture that was shown to me over the internet by a Colombian who has family in Venezuela. And the sign said, it was a stick of deodorant, and it said, untada, dos bolivares. And untada is a swipe. They have a stick of deodorant, and you can pay two bolivars for a swipe. When deodorant has gotten that scarce, and yet you have people that are still going to work, still wearing deodorant, and still trying to hold on to a country that they don't truly feel has been lost yet, perhaps through naivete, perhaps through patriotism, and perhaps through fear, that's when you know things are not going to turn around as easily as somebody might want you to believe. Venezuela has closed the borders. Make no mistake about it. If you're in Venezuela and you're not a diplomat, you leave when they say you can leave. And a couple of weeks ago, they opened the border for a few hours, 12 hours. Thousands of Venezuelans went to Colombia to buy groceries. They're not coming back. Some of them may have. People who bought it and they're going to go try to sell it for twice what it's worth. People who live in relatively safe areas might try to do that. But they're not coming back. Colombia right now has a huge problem with Venezuelan migrants. People who came to Colombia with nothing because it, because it goes back to that old expression. A government powerful enough to give you everything is powerful enough to take it all away. If you live a government-subsidized existence and you have to leave that government, you don't sell your house. The house was given to you by the government. You don't have any equity in your house, your investments. You have credit card debt in your name in Venezuela. And the funny thing about that credit card debt is that, yeah, in Venezuela, you pay it back with Bolivar's. And the credit card interest rate is less than the inflation rate. 
So people are maxing out their credit cards all day every day to save a little bit of money. But that doesn't work in countries that don't have hyperinflation. When you have debt in Venezuela, you can't apply for a line of credit necessarily when you get to Colombia. Your credit score in your home country, if you have one at all, might not be that great. You won't have any assets in your name. You won't be able to buy a house or put a security deposit on an apartment. These people coming across the border, if they don't have family to stay with, they're wandering the streets. And they might not know where they're going to get their next meal, but they're doing it because they at least know if they walk into a store with some money that they'll leave with a bag of flour, with a piece of fruit, with a box of cereal, with some fresh or condensed milk for their child. So the situation in Venezuela is not just a crisis of all this high unemployment. They're experiencing weather-related food shortages because, yeah, heat waves, food shortages, they happen, and they're terrible, and they cause a few deaths every now and again. And that's not to minimize death. Death is obviously a terrible thing. But when a heat wave hits California and somebody dies, that's not indicative of a societal problem. When there's a shortage of tomatoes in the United States due to a hard freeze, there are other fruits and vegetables in the store that we can buy. What we're witnessing in Venezuela is an economic deletion. Venezuela, if it ever comes back, will not be the country that is disappearing today. It will be something else entirely built in the image of Venezuela and comprised of many of the same people. But the Venezuela that was taken over by Chavismo was led into its own obliteration, total and complete obliteration, by Nicolás Maduro. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your time. I hope that this provided a little perspective for you on the crisis in Venezuela. If you like this podcast, give us a like, a thumbs up, an upvote, whatever platform you're on. Uh, Share it with your friends who might want to learn more about Venezuela and learn more about other issues that are going on in the world today. And subscribe and give us a like on Facebook, facebook.com slash News, so that you can hear all our original content and read all our original content as it comes out. Thanks again. This is Adam Sharkey with Tiburon News, and hope you have a great day.